Hello and welcome back to the Empire of the Cop podcast. Another week, another great guest. We have Red Men TV's Paul Machen. Paul, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, very good. Thank you so much. It's been a while since I've been on. So great to be back. No, it's great to see you. It's great to see you. And I think we're, well, we'll be discovering some different topics uh, today, as ever. You know, this, it seems to we get rumours sort of flinging out around us, you know, every, every which way and the other. Uh, you know, one more sort of unlikelier than the rest. But I think the ones we will be discussing shortly, uh, thankfully, come from more sort of reliable uh, sources. So we'll definitely be worth a chat. We've also got Peter Kenny Jones here with me today, and I'll be your host, Farrell Keeling. But firstly, um, the burning question on my mind, of course. Um, you, you've released a new documentary about the man, the myth, the legend himself, uh, Bobby Firmino, uh, one of the greatest number nines to feature in the famous Red Shirt. Um, you, usually with these things, uh, I suppose my first question would be, you know, what what, what inspired this? But I, I think the reason is probably uh, pretty obvious uh, to most by now, um, if you have a Liverpool persuasion. Um, so I, I, I think... I suppose that the more pertinent question is, at what point did you know you wanted to, to make the documentary? Was it literally as soon as the sort of news was confirmed that it would be Firmino's last season in a Liverpool shirt? Or, or was this sort of something that was brewing in the, in the works perhaps a bit longer? Yeah, it's certainly been brewing a bit longer. I mean, I'm pretty sure our director would be dead now if we'd had if we waited <laughs> till that last moment uh, where we found out it was all definitely it was definitely leaving. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of talk around the industries of you know uh, games production and movies and what have you of uh, crunch. Uh, and that would have been slightly more brutal than it ended up being uh, if that was the case. So no, it, it's something we've had in our mind a while. We did the Jordan Henderson documentary two years ago now. Uh, which was a three-parter, which was, you know, at the time was the best thing we'd, we'd done. And off the back of that, the conversation was kind of like, well, well, who's next? What's next? What do we do? And there'd been a lot of talk. There's been a lot of talk in the last couple of years, really, of like who's who's going to stay, who's going to go, at what point will the squad refresh happen? So I, it was actually a, a bit of a toss-up at one point between doing something on James Milner and, and doing something on Firmino. And Firmino was always the most, I think everyone will know, he's obviously... The most appealing. There's just something so, just so amazing about him. You know, he's more than just a footballer, which I think adds to the appeal of doing a documentary. And a Mil- Milner, we did feel a little bit like, well, what will we say? Because you know, there's only so many times you can say, oh, he's a brilliant, he's brilliant, and he, he won the lactate test again. And there's lots of things to say, but there's no like, there's no like cinematic James Milner moments the way that there are Roberto Firmino ones. So yeah, it's it's been booming for a while, but yeah, foot to the floor. In a huge way, once we once we knew he was, it was likely that he was going to be leaving. Yeah, well, we've had a look ourselves as well. Obviously, and, um, I know the first ones out now, the first episodes out on YouTube, isn't it? But um, mm-hmm. obviously, the, the guests you've had, people will look towards like the likes of Hendo and, and Ian Rush. But I thought, like reading stuff that Ian Air had said as well, and obviously provides more of like um, an interesting insight into you know other aspects of the club and how highly Klopp thought of him before he'd even arrived at Liverpool. But Maybe other than the obvious, who do you think was the had the most interesting stories or the most interesting insight about Bobby? I, I actually, for me personally, it was Ian A. Um, because so we we split up sort of interview duties amongst the amongst the guys at, at Red Men. Um, Dan Club uh, and our director Joe Baker went over to Hoffenheim to interview the Hoffenheim guys. So I, I think they would probably say almost all of that yeah. stuff. But for me, Ian A. You know, I spent a few weeks. Well, we spent actually a couple of months trying to hunt him down because uh, he's obviously uh, he's performing a similar job over at Nashville, over in the MLS at the moment, and the club went like we were just blanking us basically. So I had to kind of go through 
friend of friend of friend to, to to get to him. So when we finally did and finally sat down to do the interview, I had an idea. I knew that he he would be a great interview, but I had not spoken to him. I think we maybe maybe like a decade ago. I think I interviewed him, and he was great then. And he was actually you know an incumbent. He was actually Liverpool. I don't know if he was MD or CEO at the time. And he was a great. He was a, he, he he told some great stories then. So with a bit of a bit of hindsight, a bit of space, and probably not being under any hard locked contractual um, issues, um, his story stories were absolutely absolutely brilliant. So yeah, I, th- I thought Ian Ian Air for a guy who gets quite. I mean, there'll be younger viewers and younger Liverpool fans who won't really remember Ian Air too much, but he was a very hot topic at the time. You know, he had a lot of he, he drew a lot of criticism for Liverpool's transfer policies and not getting certain transfers over the line and stuff. But you know, he was a guy who was in the room when every bit of major business was done. With Liverpool, he was there when you know he was in the conversations when Liverpool signed Jurgen Klopp, and he talks about that. Um, so yeah, that was a real, that was a great one because and like Hendo's great as well because to have that insight of someone who's there on the pitch who can say, "I played the ball before the ball that won Liverpool the Club World Cup," and he's got his own perspective of what that goal looked like from his from his position on the pitch is great stuff. But um, yeah, Ian is the Ian is the, the of episode one, I think for me, Ian is the star. Um. In the documentary, um, it's sort of the arrival of Firmino is obviously positioned as almost filling the Suarez void. Um, was it? Was it rather? I mean, obviously, we're not talking about the same sort of player here, mm-hmm. you know. And you, you almost look at the importance of Firmino in the Klopp system as being comparatively more significant, dare I say, than Suarez's sort of time at Liverpool. It was almost strange sort of revisiting that sort of period of Liverpool because we're so used to this concept of this Liverpool as an all-dominating, European-conquering kind of force under Jurgen Klopp. But what preceded that era was, you know, the tail end of the Brendan Rodgers era, you know, Gerrard leaving, things looking a rather sharp decline from the 13-14 season. And I think you mentioned as well, even in the context of you know signing Benteke, signing Firmino, the pair being sort of pitted against each other uh, to see who comes out on top, which just seems frankly uh, criminal uh, with the mm. benefit of hindsight. Was, was it strange for you, sort of like the team revisiting that era? Yeah, it is because you know you live it and you and you 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 remember it, but you don't you don't get to go back and live in it again. It becomes nostalgia tinged, so you remember it kind of like oh, and you know, and, and Brendan Rodgers lost his job, and Klopp came in, and then everything was fine, and it, and it, it, it you know it kind of wasn't. You know, it's interesting that a couple of years ago you were seeing like pundits and stuff talking about Jurgen Klopp's first year as not being a great success and you know and people showed faith with them and blah 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 like I don't remember that that way I just remember it is Liverpool got better and better and better and better on week on week under them so yeah and then to, to take that back a couple of months before that and the, the Brendan Rodgers stuff it was fascinating it, it, you know people forget there was sort of like a night of the long knives at, at, at Melwood at the time where loads of the coaching staff lost the jobs, you know, um, Colin Pascoe was his assistant manager, got the boots as well. And Rogers basically cut adrift loads of people um, effectively to kind of give himself one more shot at the uh, shot of the job, one more season. Um, and yeah, that, that in itself, you know, we've got, we've got too much detail on that, but there are some great little tidbits, but th- there's more actually in, in some of the full interviews, which are on, on the website, because we, we couldn't put it all in the documentary because it had been about eight hours long, uh, which would have been great still, but less sort of <laughs> YouTube friendly, of course. Um, but yeah, it was great. I, I love it. I, I, I love going back to that because you know how the story ends. So it was hard at the time. You know, I remember us 
going to the 10 year anniversary of Istanbul at the Liverpool Echo Arena. And like, it's not stupid, but I remember bawling my eyes out, be thinking, like, oh God, we're never going to. We just lost to Stoke. Gerard was leaving. And it's hard to, it's hard, it was impossible to imagine that we'd ever get back to a European Cup final again. And then, what, three years later, we were in one. Four years later, we'd won one. Um, we've been to another one since. So, yeah, it's, 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 it is kind of cool to look back on the early, you know, kind of shoots, the green shoots of recovery uh, with Firmino getting that, that, that false nine roll and Jürgen Klopp coming in. It's amazing. Yeah, I just want to ask quickly as well about just Hoffenheim. And obviously, we, when he signed, I don't particularly remember there being like a huge fanfare. It wasn't, maybe it wasn't the days of <laughs> the reveal videos that we see now. Obviously, it was just him and Ian Air while he was in the Brazil top. Looked like they were in a corner of a room and someone took a picture on the phone, didn't it? But, you know, we all know, as I said before, Klopp was a massive fan of him. But just because, obviously, we, we see in the first episode, anyone hasn't seen it, just what what was his impact in Hoffenheim? And, like, what did they expect he'd go on to be, you know, win everything at Liverpool in the years he was going to be there? It's really interesting because, the, 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 again, the Hoffenheim was fascinating because I never really never really thought about it. You don't, because you... Um, you can't. You maybe you watch some highlight reels when you link with a football. I'm sure we'll we'll be talking about one or two of them later on in this show. Um, and we've all done it. And you don't really think about their impact, or you don't get too much reaction about what they're like as a as a player. Are, are they a good player or not? Yeah, they are. There was a real sense that um, there was a bit of trepidation around them signing for me, you know, because there was a, a a tried and tested method of buying Brazilian lads who didn't really live up to the hype, and so there was a real fear that he was going to be another one. And it was almost like, it's funny because there's, there's a few different guys in the dock from, from the Hoffenheim and kind of talking about this stereotypical idea of what Brazilian players are like. Uh, and we all know it. It's, it's, it you know, it's a stereotype for a reason. It's all how we perceive a lot of Brazilian, or certainly used to perceive Brazilian footballers. Has lots of flair, um, but not enough substance to kind of back it up or players who play for themselves and what have you. And I think they were genuinely quite shocked at how, good Firmino was and not like you know that he was like an absolute star of the league or whatever but more what a great what a hard worker he was and it's stuff that we all know about him now but I think I think yeah people were expecting this pure flair player um particularly the fans and what have you and obviously pundits and stuff in the Bundesliga and instead they got this this guy who was team first work ethic first and added the little bits and pieces on top you know to, to kind of round out his game Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. We'll be coming uh, back to the Bobby Firmino documentary very shortly, uh, but we'd like to first sort of cover a few of the latest transfer stories that have broken. But before we get on to that, um, Paul, I actually don't remember if last time you were on, if we covered the uh, the Pete quiz as a, as a, as a feature. Oh, <laughs> I don't well, think so. Yeah. Oh, no? I oh, it was your first time. Oh, it's, well, very well then, I guess. Cue the Pete quiz. <laughs> Yeah, I think last time I don't like to go on about it. I think last time I saw you, Paul, I did end up winning the uh, the, the quiz. But I, I don't want to mention that on here, so it's fine. I carry on. But I thought we'll turn the tables now. But we'll put it back on both of you. So as it's the Bobby Firmino documentary, I've done a quick Bobby Firmino quiz. So however many questions you get right, is how many more people should watch the documentary? Because you've obviously done your job. Well, if you get to all. <laughs> So, um, just this straight off, head-to-head, there's 10 questions, Farrell versus Paul. 
Uh, if you don't mind doing your own scoring, because I haven't got a pen and paper, so just keep an eye, an eye on what you've got, or if you've got a pen there, Farrell. But question number one. Bobby Firmino scored all of his 111 goals for Liverpool under Jürgen Klopp. But against which team did he score his first? So have you got a pen there, Paul? We didn't prompt you. I don't oh, think. no, I haven't. I think, yeah, I don't want to do notes. We don't have to. We can just do after each question if you haven't got one. I, yeah, I have no pen, so let's... Uh, let's yeah, we'll just answer each one, that's fine. You can uh, put your hands up when you're ready, and we'll, uh, we can put you in. <laughs> well, after, have you got one, Farrell? I've got, I think it's wrong, but I've got... <laughs> well, Paul, you go first as the guest, and then the next time Farrell can go first, so you're not copying each other. But, Paul, what's your answer? He scored his first goal against Manchester City. And Farrell? Yeah, it's, I'm wrong. I was, I was thinking Arsenal for some reason. Yeah. Man City, yeah. So the clue was it because it was under years and Klopp he scored his goal. But yeah, that Man City famous 4-1, I think when Klopp's Liverpool announced himself. Um, so second question, 1-0 to Paul. Um, you can't talk about Bobby Firmino without mentioning Mane and Salah. And it's not much of a surprise to know that the two top players he assisted during his time at Liverpool were Mane and Salah. But who was the third highest assist player that Firmino provided assists for during his time. So, it was Salah, then Mane, then who got the most assists of Bobby Firmino. I mean, when you're ready. It's a bit of a tough one. Oh, that's it. I can tell you, Mo Salah got 22 assists, Sadio Mane got 17 assists, and third place, only got six during Bobby's time at, at Liverpool. I'll follow one over to you first when you're ready. I'm trying to work out if it's any sort of alternatives to the front three or anyone sort of running into the box in midfield. Um, no pressure. Everyone's <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, all right. I'll, 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 I'll gamble with it. Go on. Okay. Um, I'm going to. I'm going <laughs> to say Jordan Henderson. Okay, and Paul. I'm going to say Daniel Sturridge. Oh, you're both wrong. Both both decent guesses, though. A bit of a surprise. Philip Coutinho. Oh, 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 oh. From the time he was there, I think it's more oh. of a surprise. Not the person who it is. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that's still 1 0, Paul. We're going to question three. Uh, who is the only team that Bobby scored home and away against in the Champions League? So it was the same leg. It was the only team he ever scored home and away against. And, uh, if you got one down, Farrell, yeah, then Paul, your first, I think. There's no copy. Sorry, is this is this a, no, is a knockout or group? Yeah, so it's in the knockout round, yeah. It's actually the only team he scored home and away against ever, but it was in the knockout round, the same round of the competition, home and away. Oh, okay. Um... <laughs> Christ. Um, go on. Roma? Okay, Farrell? Porto. One of you is right. And it was the 2018 Champions League semi final against Roma. Over the way. I'll say ton of stuff. You're well, I think it's 2 0. Against who did Bobby score in the Club World Cup semi final? So it's Farrell first. <laughs> Oh, you're kidding me. Um, that, uh, that trend passing it with the, uh, the cross that comes back up now on Twitter that you see. <laughs> it wasn't like Montreal or something, was it? 
we'll have to push you. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> and Paul? Monterey. Monterey. Are you going to give Farrell the, the wrong pronunciation or not? Montreal. And <laughs> <laughs> the wrong country and the wrong team. But I thought, you know, I was trying to let him off there, but no. But let's move. That was honest. a grunt at the end. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll give it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Three nil, Paul. Question number five. Kate, okay, this is a stupid question, but I found it quite funny. Uh, Firmino's first football team was called CRB in Brazil, but he struggled to get into the side. That was until he was picked or tipped to play for Figueirense. My um, my Portuguese pronunciation isn't very good. But what profession did the man who tipped Figueirense to sign Firmino have? And the hint is, it's very apt for Bobby Firmino. Oh, yeah. Uh, Paul, you're first, and Farrell, let me know when you're ready. Was he a, is he a dentist? And Farrell? I was going to say something like a, a magician. <laughs> he was a magician for Spot and Bobby, but yeah, he, he actually was a dentist. You're all right. Correct. Well done. See, he's done his stuff. It must be worth watching this. Historically, I have a record of being very, very bad at these quizzes. It's nearly a whitewash here, yeah, so try and get on the board. I think you might get this one. Added together, what is the sum of Bobby's shirt numbers at Liverpool? You must be able to get this one, Farrell. Otherwise, you're losing your hosting job. It's over to you first, Farrell. This is iron. This is ridiculous. I'm going to... Oh, fuck me. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the job we haven't <laughs> 20? And Paul? Yeah, that's correct. 11 plus 9, 20. Correct. Well done. Jesus Welcome Christ. to the game. Thank Question you. number nice 7. <laughs> what did Jürgen Klopp order Liverpool fans to do for Bobby in 2018? Let me know when you've got an answer. Put your hand up, Farrell, when you're ready, and Paul, you're first. Sorry, say that again? So what did Jürgen Klopp order, this was the word order, quote, Liverpool fans to do for Bobby in 2018? Oh, right. Oh, oh yeah. he's putting it on him. I had no idea. Clap. Clap. Uh, Farrell? Make him a chant. Yeah, I'll give you it. Make him a better song. Here he had Bobby for me, though. But it uh, soon followed, as you know. I think we had, um, what was it? That came first, didn't it? But then we actually had the proper one, which, is, which we all heard many times last season. Okay, question number eight. Nearly there. Bobby has taken four penalties for Liverpool, scored two, missed two, but can you name either team that he scored against? I think, is it Farrell first? Oh, that is a bastard of a question. I couldn't even remember any of them when I got the answers here. But ah, I know yeah. this. I know this way. Can I remember? No, say is when you think of when you think of Bobby Firmino, one of the answers is quite fitting. Uh, yeah, I know. I've got okay, one. Farrell, you're first. Um, I'm going to go with answer to question one, and I'm going to say Arsenal again. <laughs> and Paul, that was the yeah, that was the that was the answer that I had. Yeah, Arsenal is correct. So he took four. He scored against Watford, missed against Seville, missed against West Brom, and his most recent one was a goal against Arsenal. Right, two left. 
Anyway, I think there's no point counting because I'm pretty sure Paul's more or less won, but I hope you're keeping this going, Farrell, because I forgot to keep going. Um, number nine <laughs> is who wore the number nine shirt before Bobby Firmino? You Benteke. Yeah, Benteke. Benteke, correct. And then finally, which Liverpool teammate was the best man for Bobby Firmino when he got married in 2017? What? Farrell is your favourite. And Paul? I'd say Coutinho. Yeah, I can tell you that Lucas and Alan Rodriguez were both there, but Coutinho was the best man. <laughs> Alan Rodriguez, get it. <laughs> and uh, the tiebreaker, well, how many games did he play? There's no, no tiebreaker in case you play along at home. Have a guess then, quick. 321. I'm Three hundred and sixty nine. Oh, Three six two is the right answer. Oh, you bugger! You're no longer home, and that decided it. Yeah, well done. But yeah, that is the quiz. I'm pretty sure Paul won. I gave up counting when it was four nil. But um, well done, and uh, thanks for playing. That has been the peak quiz. Absolutely never. Ever will get tired of that. <laughs> um, well, we've had it there. We have the winner of the uh, inaugural, well, latest peak quiz, Paul Machen of Redman TV. Congratulations. Uh, your trophy will be sent over in the post three to five working days. I hope that works out you. Um, but yes, yeah, so moving on over to transfers. Um, there's been a couple of Major, relatively major updates, I would, I would say. Uh, first coming from Fabrizio Romano. That's of course around RB Leipzig's dynamic uh, attacking midfielder Dominic uh, Zoboslai, a name I might have very well butchered. Um, release clause worth seventy million euros, which translates to about sixty point uh, four million pounds. Um, interesting, this one for me, Paul, because the way it's sort of been positioned is that he's that there's genuine sort of interest. Uh, there, I should state that the update originally came from uh, David Ornstein at the Athletic, uh, with Liverpool exploring that particular option. Though there are concerns over the potential price tag that will face from uh, Leipzig, but the interest is there. Uh, the question, I suppose, is to what extent? How interested are the club compared uh, to Kethren Taram, for instance? Um, especially in the con- and I want to put this in the context of our current non-homegrown quota status, because I think there's, there's two spots remaining left to fill before we start needs looking at either thinning that element or bringing in a homegrown talent. And given that sort of a new centre-half is kind of low down on the list of priorities, I think we, we spoke to Neil Jones, he was sort of thinking it's going to be fourth or fifth choice. Um, so not, not a massive priority. Do you get the impression, Liverpool, looking at Zobosly and Taram as options to come in and fill that sort of element of their sort of non-homegrown quota? Or do you, do you feel more it's sort of either or? No, no, I, I, I would suggest it's both. I, I think there's been a lot made of Taram and, and you know, <clears throat> he played a lot from the left last season. People saying he's box to box, but I, he looks to me like, I think on the clock, yeah, I'd see, I'd see him being moulded to be a little bit of a, maybe a road deeper. I could see him being more of a long-term Fabinho replacements, to be honest. Um, whereas someone like Sobberslai, I see him as we've got McAllister. I think I think it's McAllister, Jones, say Tiago for the left at the moment. It's Elliot Henderson for the right of the of the midfield. You know, if they stick with the the, the box formation from the uh, box midfield from the end of last season, and against Fabinho, 
kind of there on his own. So I, I think we need two. I think we need one more right sided eight. I think we need, and I think we need another six. Um, and those two, I think, if you could go and get both of them, I think that would solve that in a in a big way. I think you've basically gone out. There's the brief. Go and rebuild Liverpool's midfield. Um, and if they're able to get both of them, I think they've done that in a really, really canny way. It's it's interesting you mentioned about um, uh, Taram sort of being a potential replacement for Fabinho long term. I mean, Pete, there's been analysis done by sort of Karl Anker on his sort of playing style. I think the one thing that crops up is though his defensive output um, has improved uh, somewhat in the last sort of season for Nice. It's still highlighted as a sort of potential concern, uh, particularly when Nice are out of possession. There's the impression in France is that he doesn't necessarily uh, give it his all. Uh, <laughs> when Nice are out of possession, which is something I think Jurgen Klopp will be very keen to address. Yeah, well, that's because that's the main thing, is it? I think last season, I think we, at points, we all thought that our midfields didn't look that excited to try and win the ball back, did they? I think towards the end of the season, so when we played that new formation and we looked a totally different side, and maybe it was Trent coming in there or, or whatever it was, we just looked totally different and a lot more willing to try and get the ball back. So that's, I think that's what we need. The more nice it's energy, isn't it? I think that we've lost a few stalwarts of that team who have won everything with us. And, you know, like James Miller, you can never fault his fitness and effort. But, you know, what we need to replace now is to get the legs in. You know, Jordan Henderson was that, wasn't he? You know, I think uh, Gerard was saying that he was one of the best midfielders he ever played with, just in the case that Henderson did all this running for him. And we've got a few players there who are very talented and we need a couple of, of workhorses who do all the running for them. So if that's not what Taram is, then maybe that's a bit of a worry. I'm not sure. Again, I, I'm going to say his name wrong as well. The Sabra's like, I'll say it dead quick. If he does the one who's going to do all the running, <laughs> then we're happy to have him in. And, you know, maybe someone who can add a bit more of an attack and threat. I think he's got quite a few goals and assists, certainly more than most of the midfielders we've got and most of the ones are being linked with. But, you know, with McAllister and maybe him, maybe we're getting more goals. But, yeah, I'm hoping that Taram or if it's Kone or whoever else we're linked with is the person who starts doing the running for us. You want to see top of the league for miles covered and stuff like that. That's, I think that's what we need, that type of player at the moment. I mean, a quick sort of skirt over the, the stats, I think, for uh, Zobersly. Um according to FB Ref, he's, he's ranks in the 91st percentile for shot-creating uh, actions, uh, plenty of sort of passes. He seems like the kind of player that's going to be very sort of impactful towards the opposite end of the pitch, where you sort of compare that to, to Ram, um, he performs very well for sort of progressive carries, take-ons, 94th and 93rd uh, percentile compared to uh, other midfielders. Um, so seem, it, it just very much seems, like, like Paul was saying, just the kind of player that will sort of be his game will revolve around starting out from deep, maybe progressing the ball forward, um, but not as impactful towards the opposite of the pitch as uh, Zobersly. Um, I'm, I'm just going to move the conversation over to another uh, Romano update, uh, another target that we've been sort of relatively heavily linked to um, of late is that of Celta Vigo's uh, Gabri Vega, the same Celta Vigo I'm sure many Liverpool fans will remember uh, for having produced a former Liverpool player. Career didn't work out quite as well. Of course, talking about uh, Iago Aspas, but he went on to have a perfectly good career over in the Spanish top flight. Um, Gabri Vega, Paul, um, release clause of 40 million uh, euros, so around the sort of 34 million pound mark if I've got my conversion turns right at the top of my head. Um, it's been reported that Manchester City have now entered the race for him um, after departing from the uh, race for 
Declan Rice of West Ham. He's now one of the options being considered by the club. Liverpool and Chelsea remain interested, but City also informed uh, now. Um, I, this interests me, but I, I think the problem I have, I suppose, with players like Vega, it's a similar problem I have with players between us like Nicola Barea, uh, Romeo Lavia, not for a lack of talent, uh, but more the physical sort of equation. I, I think Vega himself is about sort of six six foot exactly tall, but I think Barea and Lavia are all under uh, six foot. And for me, I think what, what's attracted me most about sort of players like Turam and Graven, Gravenbach um, is that they're all sort of well cleanly over sort of six foot. So I think when we're looking at sort of what a Liverpool midfield should be moving forward, uh, for me, it's not just about technical ability and wanting to get sort of stuck in. Those are important sort of attributes. Um, but I think you also need to be, you need to look at that midfield and think that's a physically imposing midfield. This isn't going to get knocked about very easily. And I'm not so sure, like, even if we look at sort of Dominic Zobersley, six foot one. So sort of, you know, not, not quite as sort of imposing as, as a Turan perhaps, but you wouldn't look at that necessarily and think, you know, as long as he's got everything else in his locker, you'd be sort of quite reasonably pleased. That. Do you have similar sort of concerns about how Liverpool sort of direct their policy, their yeah. transfer policy in this area? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Paul Tompkins has done some great work on this in the last sort of 12 months about like overall average height of your team and effectively shorter teams are less threatening from set pieces. They concede more from set pieces. You just fit loads less dominance across the, across the park. And this is what happens. I think, you know, you see this happen with certain teams. You, you're looking for certain managers become enamoured with technically gifted football players. And look, more often than not, you talk at the end of the smaller players, they just are. You'd have to give something up. And just to go back on the Turan point about like, you know, if he was if he was in the 95th percentile for every area, he'd be a hundred and twenty million pound footballer and he'd probably have been signed for Real Madrid um this this summer. And that's the the sort of nature where where they're at. I think Liverpool have taken some missteps in, in terms of moving towards smaller, slower footballers. Um and we've lost a real edge in doing that, you know. Gini Van Alden was a bit of a freak in some ways because he wasn't over six foot, but he was so strong and he had a great leap on him as well. So he, he, he could get away with him not being an absolute giant in the middle of the park. Jordan Henderson's over six foot as well, but all of a sudden, you know, there's a world where you've got a midfield and it's Trent Alexander-Arnold, yeah, Fabinho, 6'3". You're looking at Harvey Elliott maybe in there. If Thiago's in there, you've lost quite a lot of quite a lot of that kind of physical sort of presence in there. So no, I think that's I think that's a, an important step. I think more physically robust. I think more pace, more power, more height into the side, um, and see if we can be a bit more, be a bit angrier, be a bit narkier, be a bit more physical in those kind of games because. Yeah, you want to see that. I watched them. Um, it's very rare that you cast a glance at anything Everton are doing and think, yeah, that's that's good. Um, but watching an Arna tear around the pitch for them and seeing like Liverpool have nothing remotely like him in their midfield last season. I'm not saying he, he's good enough to play for the Reds, but it was quite. It's night and day at times. So I, I like that. I think as far as it goes, I mean, I, I spoke to John Achterberg quite a bit. The goalkeepers have got it. When they buy goalkeepers, they've got a model. You've got to be a certain height and you've got to be a certain type of frame to even be considered to be a goalkeeper for Liverpool. I think it's a, I think there's if you want to be a DM for Liverpool, you have to be over six foot. Uh, and I think if you can then find an attacking midfielder who's got the technical attributes but is around the six foot mark as well, 
then you could be into something. It's probably one of the reasons why Jones got a, got more games at the back end of the season because he certainly fits that as well. That's something that I think there will be sort of room for flexibility. You mentioned Wijnaldum sort of being an exception uh, to the rule, but I think it would it would you can understand sort of the signing of McAllister. We look at McAllister; he's about five foot nine, and you sort of think that doesn't really fit the mould height wise of what Liverpool are probably looking for from their midfield. But you can almost allow that if you do go right. That's fine. Um, our holding midfielder and our right side is central midfielder. They're both over six foot, cleanly, physical monsters, no problem. Um, but even if you look at um, the one Adam example is interesting as well, because you look at sort of the attributes that McAllister has and has shown over the period of his, his sort of uh, career with uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. I think um, Statbomb or, or someone of that like were uh, comparing f- uh, footballers similar to, to one Adam under the under 25 sort of age range. I think uh, McAllister came up second behind uh, a Middlesbrough player who, whose name is currently sort of escaping me right now. Um, so, and I, th- I think it certainly stacks up in the, any of the analysis that has been conducted into McAllister. He's sort of very strong on the ball, difficult to knock off. But he's a scrapper uh, as well. He's a fighter. And that's the thing, you know, you've got, you can't be, I don't think you can't be a technically, super technically proficient, but ultra passive footballer and in a clock team. And that's what I think we've done. Look at look at the players we have brought in, and that's why I, I think actually maybe Carvalho. That's why this is why he's being moved out. I look at Diaz; he's a street fighter. Look at Darwin Nunes; he's exactly the same. Look at Ibu Kanate; he's exactly in that in that mould as well. And it looks like we're buying lads who just want to come in and fight, um, and then to kind of see what happens. You know what I mean? If Man City are going to have all the money in the world to spend on footballers, and Liverpool are going to have to do something slightly different i can see a well with arsenal maybe for file of this as well you know where they go a little, they maybe go a little bit too a little bit too technical and maybe lose a bit of pace along the way it's very much the arsenal way isn't it to go to well, the center the venga way um so liverpool <laughs> need to make sure that they can, they don't get bullied on the on on the pitch and you don't need to be six for four to be bully resistant um but it does help no, the Carvalho point is, is worth making. I think you could almost see what Liverpool were trying to do when they signed him. Because, I mean, the constant debate we had at the start of the season is where are we going to fit Fabio Carvalho in? Because he can play midfield, he can play left of the forward line. But then you think, well, you're competing with Luis Diaz, you're competing with Darwin Nunez. Um, it, it's almost having that versatility to your game was was a bit of a sort of a cross to bear for uh, Cavalli, I, I almost feel. And then the, the question is, well, he doesn't have the physicality to be a sort of reliable uh, central midfield option, which at the time when you've got Fabinho and Henderson's declining performances and physicality to contend with, it, 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 a culmination of factors that didn't necessarily sort of help him uh, in that regard. Um, I'm, I'm very interested, Pete, to see where Liverpool sort of go from here, because I think, you know, I remember at the time when we were first linked with McAllister, everyone was sort of saying, oh, you know, and rightly so, he's a 60, 70 million pound, you know, footballer, Premier League proven, he's won the World Cup with Argentina. You know, if you actually, you, you watch the World Cup games, you could see how much sort of Messi was sort of looking to him. Uh, it, <laughs> there was a lot of trust there. And I think that would, I don't, I don't think any Liverpool fan would have, if they'd announced, yeah, it, it's, it's 60 million bonuses, add-ons, what have you. I don't think anyone, any one of us would have sniffed at that figure. But now we're in an interesting position where we have saved roughly 30, 40 million pounds on a siling of that calibre. Um, and, and we're looking sort of where next to go. Taram and Sobosline obviously seem to be perhaps leading the race in that regard. You've got the sort of alternatives, uh, Gravenbach, um, Manu Kone of, of Gladbach to consider. Um 
do, do you reckon it will be the case where we sort of look beyond that to bring in maybe a homegrown uh, sort of centre half, or, or do you sooner see? Because we, we've seen an update here from Romana, sort of looking at Mickey Van der Ven, who's been heavily linked, um, and apparently Tottenham have already opened talks now uh, for him, which I think should put Liverpool in, a, in an interesting position here. Because if we are indeed interested, we could see a potential repeat of the situation we had when Tottenham were first looking at Luis Diaz. And Liverpool went, no, 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 um, we quite like the look of them, we'll have them, thank you very much, and sort of swoop in at the 11th hour. Um, do you sooner see a situation in which Liverpool either thin their non-homegrown list to make room for three non-homegrown <laughs> signings, or perhaps more focus your efforts on the midfield and then just sort of look what's available in the market as a homegrown option in the centre-half region? Yeah, well, I think, you know, as you say, it's definitely something we need to look at, don't we, in this... Over them, uh, Mason Mount was the only English midfielder we've been seriously linked with. And you say it seems that United was signed, sealed, delivered, and that has gone quieter later. Whether we're still poking around there, waiting to see for something to happen, but it does seem the price that Chelsea won to pay for for Mason Mount isn't worth isn't worth it. Obviously, you know that having the the homegrown players is, is not just important. You know, it's, it's necessary. You have to do it, don't you? So we will have to be looking at how we can strengthen in there. And yeah, it's, as you say, if, you, if you've got a list of priorities and you can get two great midfielders, they're not homegrown and you, you need to go get another player. We want it to be a defender or a right-back, so like that, and then you go and get an English or a homegrown right-back, central defender, left-side, centre-back, whatever it is they're trying to strengthen. And that would be the sensible thing to do, wouldn't it? But, you know, I'm sure they'll still be on the lookout for, for other midfielders who might fit the mould. You know, we, you see people like Madison get mentioned. He looks like he's on to Tottenham. You see Mount, he looks like he's pretty sure he's going to United. But still, as I said, you don't know. Rice is probably the other option, but we're not going to be going in a bit of war with, with Arsenal and City unless we do, you know, what, what, what Eddie Luko's asking. And maybe we just join the bid and to, to hurry it up and then step back out. But I think other than that, there's no other English midfielders. There was one who uh, Real Madrid have just signed, but I don't think we were ever linked with him. So <laughs> other than that, there's no no big midfielders or that you would say that we, we could definitely fit in a starting role. So if that's the position, we have to go and buy another one. Then yet you go and fill someone who can play at the back. And you know, I think even James Milner's got to be a massive miss because he can fit in left-back, right-back, centre-back, play any, probably any of those four positions in the middle. I think he did play centre-back when we were desperate and I wouldn't mind him playing on either wing if we need them as well. So if you can get someone like that and like an Oxlade-Chamberlain again who would fill in in the front three for us playing in midfield, maybe you get a bit of a utility man who, who is English, but who is that? There's actually just naming a great player who doesn't exist. So yeah, I think if you have to list your priorities, it's got to be going go and get the players we need from the field. That seems to be the priority with the players that have left. And then if we need to go and buy someone else, make them English and see if we can get a good deal for someone. But as we know, the English tax is always a lot higher than it is for, for players from anywhere else. I mean, I suppose if you're looking for a utility option, who's English, um, your options would have probably been someone like James Madison, who's gone to Leicester City, but he's 26, so it doesn't necessarily fit in the age profile of what we're looking for. Conor Gallagher, maybe, who's been tentatively linked. Um It'll be interesting to see. I, I do think personally, it probably it will be two non-homegrown players who are brought in. Um, certainly so, given the names that have been linked. Uh, but Paul, I think the, the interesting thing for me when we do look at the sort of back line is what specifically Liverpool go for. 
um, because there's so many different directions Liverpool could go, um, especially depending on the tactics we're looking to implement next season. If we keep Trent with the hybrid role, there's a lot of pressure on Liverpool having a right-sided centre-half who's effectively able to do two different jobs. Ibrahim Kanate expertly fits that mould. But, you know, as we've seen last season, I think he was available for only less than half of our available league games, which is, that's a problem if we see that sort of Trent role as being a sort of consistent thing. But then also, likewise, on the left-hand side, we look at sort of Van Dijk, who's turning 32 later this July. Now, I'm not saying, of course, we need to be seriously looking to consider him replacing him or, you know, future planning necessarily this summer window. I think, you know, he's the kind of player that could keep going on for the two, three years uh, at the, sort of the height of his powers. But it is a consideration that people do need to have. I suppose in that main of thought, what, what's the bigger priority at this stage? Do Liverpool look to cover themselves with the new Trent role or is it, do you reckon it's going to be more of a kind of dependent on the game we will play Trent like this? So in that instance, it's better that we service the left side of the back line. Well, the, the fact that we just, I mean, the big unknown is how hardly did they rate Connor Bradley? Because if they, if they, if they thought having seen him a, a season at Bolton, right, that's enough that he can just come in and do some understudy work now for a season with the, with the first team. Um, it doesn't feel quite it to me. I'm not sure you make that step up. He's obviously a very highly thought of player, but um. I'm not sure you go from League One to, you know, to, well, it was only Europa League, in it? Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, I think, um, no, I, there's a lot, there's too many questions, really, and none of answers what Liverpool are going to do with that defence. Because I think if you were having a root and branch, money's no object, rebuild of Liverpool's team, I think you'd be looking at Simicass and Robertson's role and saying, do we need either, do we really need or want either of those guys? Because again, Robertson, if Robertson was another six inches taller, I think he'd be absolutely ideal for what we do. But right now, how that role is played is predominantly a left-sided of a back three, um, who then has licence to get up and down the pitch more sparingly than than, than the other side. Um, I in Trent. Um, I... I think the Van Dijk thing we need to be careful with. My my overall feeling on this, on the homegrown thing or not, is that there's two slots available. I think you go and fill them with your midfielders. And I think right now, need to remember that we we still hold quite a lot of footballers. And I don't think they're going to go out. And I think it will depend on what happens next with certain players. So I think it will depend on what happens with Thiago, if anything. And I think Joel Matip will be a part of that. And maybe someone like Simicas. And if either of those three put their hand up and say, actually... This isn't for me anymore. I want to move on. I think Liverpool will go, provided we get the right fee, fine, go with all of our best wishes. And I think that might trigger something else because at the moment, um, we don't actually, although I think we need an improvement on Joel Matip, because he's the one, because I think Gomez can do that. I think he's had a, he's had a, a torrid time with injuries, as with most of our squad, but he's still got enough in him there. I think we might have lost Paul. Oh, sorry. There we go. Um, yes. Oh, there, oh, there is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there's, I, sorry, just to say on that, I think the, it depends on who's ready to step up. At the moment, we only, if Nat Phillips goes and we've seen Reese Williams leave, right now all Liverpool need in terms of pure bodies is someone to cover their role in the squad. Just occasional sub, maybe cup defender, 
periodically. If Matt goes, I think you need to push them in a in a big way. John Matip's just going to accept being the Nat Phillips. Um, you have to balance. You have to balance that. And one pay, one player that might be is someone like Jarrell Quanta. You know, he had a good loan spell. I don't really know where he's at, but again, he he kind of fits the profile of what we might be looking for. But it depends. Are we looking for someone to challenge Van Dyke in the you know in the next twelve to eighteen months, or are we just looking for someone to keep us ticking over for a year? I don't really know. There's a lot for Liverpool to consider, a lot for Jörg Schmatke to consider um, in his what may be his first year in the sporting director role for Liverpool Football Club. Um, in amongst all that madness, though, we do have the lovely Bobby Firmino documentary uh, for Redman TV to calm your nerves. Um, as, as Pete rightly said at the start of this podcast, Paul, um, episode one is available for free mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, episode two is up there on Red Men TV if fans want to subscribe. Uh, can you just walk us through uh, what everyone needs to do just to get on, on top of that? Yeah, look, first and foremost, if anyone's remotely interested in hearing a great story told by some brilliant people about Roberto Firmino, then go and check out the episode for free on our uh, YouTube channel. That's just the Red Men TV. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash the Red Men TV. If you like that and you want episodes two and three, then go to redmenplus.com and sign up. And what we've done is we've created an offer for all the Empire of the Cop listeners. So if you go on there and you use a, a club captain subscription and use the code EOTK, um, that'll give you 50% off uh, for three months. So not only will you get all the documentary at half price, but all the rest of the transfer window as well, because uh, we just want as many people to watch it as possible. But obviously, I know that'd be, because it's the internet, I'm sure there'll be someone who goes, oh, I'll just put it out for free. Obviously, it costs <laughs> lots of money. It does cost an obscene amount of money to make things to that kind of degree and, and level. Um, you know, I, I joked the other day, I probably should have just sold it to Netflix. We'd be a lot more financially sound if we'd done that, given the, given where it's at. But no, we, you know, we want people to come over and check out what we're doing. Um, I think episode two and three, I mean, episode one is sensational. Um but two and three, obviously, you're starting to cover Liverpool winning the European Cup in Madrid. You're starting to cover the Club World Cup, ending the 30-year wave for the title. And, of course, like, you know, they're pulling on the heartstrings of Bobby leaving this season. So, yeah, they're really good stuff. And just, obviously, I, I realise this, this is a big sell. Um, but all the people who we actually interviewed as well, we've got those full interviews available. So, obviously, they're only sort of 25 to 30 minute episodes. Episode three is a little bit longer because there's more in there. It's obviously with the farewell and what have you. But like Jordan Henderson's full interview is there. And we mentioned the in-air stuff. We, just for time, we had, to, we had to be really judicious in the edits. But there's so many great stories in there. So, like, honestly, I would say so many of these interviews, you've got Henderson. By the end of the weekend, there'll be Henderson, Lalana, Lucas Lever. Ryan Babbles in there, even though he actually didn't make too much into the dock himself. He was just really, really good. We've got a random one with Ozan Kabach while the lads were over in Germany, which is not many people can say they've interviewed Ozan Kabach from the Liverpool scene, I'd imagine. Um, there's there's tons and obviously loads of the Hoffenheim people as well. And the two CEOs at the time. So obviously it would have been Ian Air at the start and then Peter, Peter Moore as things as things moved on. So yeah, honestly, I mean, the brilliant interviews are standalones um, and then they filter into just what I, I'm... Immensely proud of this documentary. Our director Joe Baker has smashed it out the park. I joke, but you know it, it wouldn't be out of place on a Netflix or a Prime or or any streaming service. That's the that's the level of quality he's gone to with this. 
That's brilliant. Ocean Quebec as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a one, one of the most underrated. Didn't make it in, by the way. Chance. Didn't make it into the documentary. <laughs> had nothing. Had nothing. Uh, yeah, that uh, actually fit with the story of what we're saying. But is it? But his interview is. It's interview. <laughs> I, 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 I tell you what, Paul. I'm going to be eternally upset that we never really got to hear that superb chant at Anfield. I mean, oh, honestly, absolutely gutting. But you know, like you said it yourself, it could, you know, I think if you're willing to pay for a Netflix subscription, an Amazon Prime subscription. Why not fork out for a Redmond TV subscription, especially for fifty percent? There, like, it's an absolute well, steal. It's two pound absolute steal. That makes it basically it's two it's two pound fifty a month. You know, honestly, I've dropped more running for the bus. So you know, I have a little I have a little butchers at it. See what people think. Yeah, that code is e o e o t k. There you go. For a price of a cup of coffee, you can get access uh, to the Bobby Firmino documentary. You thought the first episode was good. It's going to get even better as we as they delve deeper into the Jurgen Klopp era and Bobby Firmino's role in all of that. Um, be sure to check out Redman Plus. And of course, this podcast will be going out on our YouTube as usual. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe and a comment if you've enjoyed this episode. It'll be also coming out to our uh, readers and audio listeners on the Substack, so be sure to give that a little cheeky gander. And this has been the Empire of the Cop podcast. We've had Redmen TV's Paul Machen here with us, uh, our very own Peter Kenny-Jones, and I've been your host, Farrell Keeling. Thanks for watching. Take care.